0: Gunfighter Cast. I'm your host Daniel Shaw. This episode is going to be the second part to the training and trainer series. And I sat down with uh, George Hill from Crusader Weaponry, and we just kind of went crazy and talked a lot. Uh, what you're going to hear is a very condensed version of our conversation that ended up being almost three hours. And I'm just going to give you just. A, it's going to be coming out in two parts. I want to give basically George Hill's intro where we kind of got going, and then when we're we'll really focused more on the training, will be coming out in a couple of days from the time I post this one. And when that one comes out, that's going to contain more of uh, what Crusader does and more about you know, George and his philosophy and, and training. To preface this, as soon as I called George, we started talking about all kind of crazy stuff from zombies to video games to uh, operating systems and. Uh, Linux versus Windows, it's just all kind of stuff. It was like we were immediately best friends when I talked to them on the phone. And that's kind of why this podcast went a little out of control when we were recording, and it got really long. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why it's taken me so long to edit it uh, and get it all done and get it put up there because it was really hard for me to figure out what to cut out and what to not, uh, and that kind of thing. It was time consuming, but we got it done, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. And if not, just fast forward to the good stuff. It might take you a while to listen to it, but uh, I hope you get something out of it. And I really like the guys over at Crusader, Joe and George, both great guys. Uh, That organization is going to go places. Very innovative, uh, open to change. Uh, i like to see them uh, succeed, and uh, I think they're going to. But without further ado, here's the interview, or the first part, basically the intro that lasts an hour, with uh, George Hill from Crusader Weapons. All right, folks. Here I am with George Hill of Crusader Weaponry. Going to ask him a few questions so you guys can get some little bit of information about what they do at Crusader and uh, what George does, his background, and what he's got going on in life. Without further ado, we'll just go ahead and get on into this. And uh, George, thanks for coming on the show, buddy.
1: Oh, it's 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 a lot of fun. Calling from uh, rural Utah, out in the middle of nowhere, uh, all the way out to uh, uh, Japan, bustling, uh, busy place that that is. Two well,
0: different worlds. We're in Okinawa, Japan, and it's just a small island. And there, uh, it's bustling at certain times of day. But I think the people in Tokyo would think of the people that live out here as country folks, because it's, it's really not as as high speed as Tokyo is. It, there's quite a difference in the uh, in pretty much everything, building structures all the way down to the people.
1: Oh, yeah. So you guys are not. You guys aren't drift racing Humvees around the basement?
0: They do have places to do that, as well, uh, to do drifting and stuff and uh, all that good stuff. I don't get to do it. When I go somewhere, <laughs> I've got to have something that's four-wheel drive because in case those zombies attacked or there's something crazy going on, i got to be able to drive over curbs. You know, i got to be able to, to drive over vehicles if I have to and hit people, and it doesn't matter. So I go with a four-wheel drive. So I bought a uh, Helix Surf. I don't do any drifting. It's a Toyota 4Runner. But a little bit bigger, I think. Not much. Though. Right on. Yeah.
1: A real gunslinger needs to have a four wheel drive vehicle. That's just standard operating procedure for guys you like do. us.
0: Because, you know, you got the gun, but you don't want to have to cap anybody. You really don't. It's just a lot of trouble that goes along with that. Oh. Uh, well, no, you got to be able to get away. You don't want to cap anybody that doesn't really need to be. There's certain people that. Uh, you know, I'm going to digress and just get back to the four wheel drive um, before I really get myself into something. But uh <laughs> but yeah, the uh the four wheel drive, you know, that keeps you out of the fight if you got to. That that helps you avoid a lot of situations. But you know, that's not what we're gonna talk about. But it is a good point and uh definitely something to think about. And if you guys are yeah missed some of the earlier episodes of Gunfighter Cast, but you're listening to this one because uh George Hill's on, go back and listen to my anti terrorism series and I talk about driving in a vehicle and how you should do things to avoid being a victim of anything, not just terrorism, but pretty much anything that you don't want to have happen to you just the way to be proactive and uh, keep that from happening to you
1: well it's a simple matter of preparedness um, you know you could have uh, some bad weather conditions uh, in any part of the you know continental United States where we're at we've got uh, one side of the continent we've got uh, hurricanes uh, we've got uh, earthquakes on another side of the continent right here in the middle in Utah we've got some ferocious winters that can kick up and uh, if you got a You know, your Ford Mustang, you're going to end up, you know, stuck in a snowdrift, and uh, you can have, uh, you know, all your survival gear that you can in the car, but it's much easier just to put it into four-wheel drive and get home or get to your destination safely.
0: Yep, and get home is a key thing. You know, I'm a big fan of... (laughs) Here we go, another... I don't know how much you listen to Gunfighter Cast, George, but I am the king of tangents. All right, this is... uh, Something hits my mind and I go after it and then I'll eventually come back because I think there's a lot of important... You can't just talk about one subject because so not everybody knows as much as you know, like me and you know. There's people listening that have very little experience in you know, pretty much any topic that I've ever had on this show. So whenever I start to talk about something, something else will pop into my mind that goes along with it and I want to make sure everybody gets everything. So I go off on tangents all the time. Some people hate it. Some people email me and say they love it. So... Feel free.
1: Well, that's, yeah, that's that's cool. And with with doing this type of uh, program, you don't have that strict time constraint uh, like uh, we do with Armed American Radio, where you've got certain segments or certain lengths of time, and uh, you'll just get cut off if you you know extend that time too much. You'll just get cut off.
0: Yeah, I don't There's... I don't have any producer hold me up signs saying I got five minutes or thirty seconds or anything. You know, I talk as long as I want, and then. Uh... The only thing that's going to stop me is hard drive space. And I think we got about at least 300 gigabytes to fill up. So that's a good few hours. I, I don't think we got a problem with that. I'm in a typhoon right now. It actually just passed a few hours ago. We had one that hit three days ago as well. And actually, this one I think was considered a tropical depression, but the one three days ago was actually a typhoon. And uh, pretty much the mm-hmm. same thing as a hurricane. Just over here, they call them typhoons. Yeah. And you know, we just filled up the bathtub full of water. And you know we already we already have plenty of canned food. We we've been stockpiling stuff over the last seven months to make sure in case something happens, earthquake, and we can't get anywhere. Well, there's a lot of earthquakes around here. We've had some pretty bad ones a few times, uh, and then these typhoons. So we're ready for it. And you know I got a bug out bag, and I've got a bag in the car to supplement my carry bug out bag. Uh, and I've talked about that before and prepared in preparedness episode of Gunfighter Cast. You know I'm a big fan of bugging in. If my building, I'm living on the seventh floor of a tower. If it's still standing. I'm staying right here because I have so many more resources. I don't have to carry them anywhere either right here in the house.
1: Exactly, because you can have, you know, all kinds of uh, uh, preparedness measures done, food storage, you can have lots of ammunition. Uh, But really, you know, how are you going to transport that? You know, if you have to go, you can have a proper vehicle set up to be able to transport what you have. But if you don't absolutely have to go, if you can control your space, then, you know, your area of operation, if you can keep control of that, then uh, you're ahead of the game.
0: That's it. And 7th floor, I'm in the perfect spot for the zombie apocalypse. See, we're talking about zombies before I actually press record. 7th floor, man, I go over there, I'll open the elevator doors and somehow cut the cables and disable the elevator so they can't come up, and then throw everything from everybody's house near me down the stairs so no zombies can come up the stairway. And now I'm eating their food, and I can survive even longer. Uh, You know, I can get down if I got to because I can climb over the stuff up there down the stairs, but the zombies don't have the motor skills that I do, so they can't come up. You know, it's a a perfect spot, it really is.
1: Exactly, and with, you know, a few well-placed shots, uh, you know, from high shooting down into the low, you know, headshots would be easy, like, uh, you know, up a staircase, you can control that space, it's fine.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, the problem with that is, I'm not allowed to have any guns here. I had to, in order to come here, I had to give up all my guns. They weren't allowed uh, to come with me. Yeah. I can't even see, have airsoft. Oh, that's ridiculous.
1: I, I feel for you, but, uh, you know, that is the way it is. That's the, that's the world we live in. Um, some places, especially with our military, you know, we've got our guys that are, you know, out there, they've sworn oath to defend and protect. And, uh, uh, most of the time, they walk around completely unarmed, unable to defend or protect anything. Uh, you know, that's what happened at Fort Hood. One guy came in with a gun, and nobody was prepared to defend themselves. I mean, they, they all had the mental preparedness. They all had the mental attitude, but they didn't have the tools. So I think uh, U.S. servicemen and women everywhere, no matter what they're doing on or off, as a symbol of their oath, they should carry sidearms. That's just my opinion.
0: Not only should they be allowed to do it, I don't want to go so far as to make it a requirement, but that individual should want to do it. You know, I, I don't like going yeah. anywhere without well, I a mean, firearm.
1: Exactly. But I, I'm thinking, you know, the way I'm thinking, it's part of the uniform. So if you're in uniform, you're strapped, you've got a big knife on you, you've got a gun on you. I like that. You know, and, and it's, just, it's just a symbol of, uh, a symbol of your oath. It's part of the uniform. Now, if you go out of uniform, you can carry concealed if you want, uh, or not if you want want to go jogging unarmed, but, you know, whatever. That's fine. But if you're in uniform, uh, part of that uniform is to have a weapon on you, and that weapon is something that you should be trained with.
0: Yeah. My personal opinion. I like it. Uh, I'm good. I'm good with that. Uh, You're running for office right now, and after you get that and you move up a little bit, you need to start, you know, Get to know the next president, whoever that may be, and become uh, the Secretary of Defense and or well, Secretary of the Navy, and make that happen for us. You know that's what you should do. You know, I'd love at to, least let us carry uh, the civil on base.
1: There was there was an incident. Uh, I've got twin brothers who are younger than me, and uh, they both uh, enlisted in the Utah Guard, or I'm sorry, in the Virginia National Guard, into an artillery unit, and. They were retrained for military police duty. They went over to Abu Ghraib. Uh, They came back, spent uh, a year back, and then they got called to go out and do the cavalry scout thing. And they were really excited to do cavalry. And they were retrained. And before they shipped out, the commanding officer, I call him Captain Puss in Boots because he's just a wuss. But this guy did not have the fighting spirit. He did not have that go get a magnitude that I think any commanding officer in a combat arms unit needs to have. He actually confiscated everybody's knives. Pocket knives, Leatherman, Gerber, multi-tools, anything with a blade. Uh, they were banned from the unit, and they were actually confiscated. And this was before they deployed. And this is just ridiculous. So I, I you know, I started pulling some strings. I actually talked to, like, the... Uh, the company's first sergeant, and uh, talked to uh, uh, a couple of politicians higher up. I'm not going to name any names, but, uh, well, pretty soon the heat got on the captain and everybody got their blades back just before they deployed, uh, which is just a, a good thing. How, I mean, how ridiculous is this? I'm going to trust you guys, you know, with tow vessels and uh, uh, all kinds of uh, high-speed gear, but uh, pocket knives, no, you can't have that.
0: You, my friend, are preaching to the choir. Do you know how many times I've been said, told, Staff Sergeant Shaw, stop, like under their breath when I'm talking to somebody else higher, and somebody else a little bit higher than me is like, Shaw, don't do it here, don't do it, because they know how I am. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I was telling you earlier, that I was thinking about getting out of the Marines and going and moving on to something else. Love the Marine Corps, love the Marines themselves especially, but I've been thinking about moving on to something else, and you know, it's uh. That's one of the things. It's, cause I've had my knives taken from me multiple times in my Marine Corps career. Uh, it was usually as a very young Marine in certain schools and then uh, out in the fleet where somebody does something stupid. They cut somebody or they're drinking and they're fighting and somebody gets cut. They're like, well, we taking everybody's knives so you don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Instead of just and you – know, we're big on punishing the masses for one person's stupidity. We're big on that. And, you know, it's funny, a funny story is, back in 1997, after I completed boot camp, and I went to School of Infantry, there was a certain Marine who was being woken up for fire watch by another Marine, and he was startled, and he had his knife in his hand for some reason. I guess he thought that Charlie was out somewhere in the the bush of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And uh, he had his knife in his hand, and he, he stabbed this guy in his arm, cut him a little bit, we got back to the rear from the field op, and we had to bring all of our knives down to formation, and this guy had to walk by and hold a bag and walk in front of us and say something like, I'm sorry, I did something really stupid, so now you have to give up your knife that you paid money for or something. He had to say something. Some kind, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like that. He had to say that to forever marine, and we had to put our knife in his bag. And I never got my knife back. And I had like a $65 bench made, and I have, didn't even think about that for another 10 years. And here we are. I've been in 13 and a half years now, and I get to Okinawa, Japan, and guess who is in the same shop of nine infantry staff NCOs that worked with me? That same guy. No what? And I didn't no know one. right off the bat. It took us a couple months to figure it out, and he was talking one day about what happened to him in the School of Infantry, and uh, how he had to make, take care of everybody's knives. And I was like, well, wait a second. What company were you in? He said, Charlie. What year was it? 1997. What this and that? And we drilled down a little bit, and I was like... That was you. Oh, man. And uh, we call him a Switchblade. And uh, <laughs> funny story. When it, you know, maybe that was a tangent, but uh, it was funny to me. And uh, definitely, you know, it just went way back. And I thought for sure that this guy would have been going out of the Marine Corps by now. But, you know, he's, now he's still around. <laughs> and he's a he's a good staff and CEO. He's a good Marine. Uh, he's not cutting people anymore. But uh, I tell well, him all the time good. that he owes he's me 65 still, bucks. Yeah, he, he still owes you a good bench bag. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I, t- I tell them all the time that.
1: <laughs> well, you tell them that the ogre says buy you a damn knife. He, uh, You're due. How many years? He hasn't get, he hasn't got you a new knife yet? You, you're due.
0: We're at about 11, <laughs> at least. At least. 11, 11, or tw- yeah. 11 or 12. Well, you know, SOI, 13. Uh, 13, yeah, 13 years. Because I was about four months. Yeah. About, he owes me about, I should collect interest on that, right? Maybe get a striker. Yeah,
1: there, there is. Uh strider or maybe uh, something from zero tolerance. Yeah,
0: you bet. I'm gonna have to push that. Probably not gonna happen, but it'll be fun to try. But anyway, George, you keep you keep pushing. you keep having interesting conversations with me and pushing me off topic. We still haven't talked about what we're supposed to talk about yet.
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah, let's let's get back on track.
0: Alright, this is no longer my show. I'm giving you the show. This is yours. I want you to Take as much okay. time as you want, and every answer, every question to as much detail as you want, whatever. And I'll throw right in my on. comments along the way. Uh, okay. Give us a little bit about your background as an instructor. Um, you know, as a person, you're a family man. I know you got a couple of fire teams of kids, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've got uh, I've got six boys. I'm happily married, and uh, uh, every one of my boys loves loves guns. They love shooting, and when I can, I, you know I take them out and. Uh take shooting, so uh they can run through a whole mess of ammo real quick, and uh, it's an expensive hobby, so you know I got to kinda keep scrapping to keep uh keep these guys fed and closed and uh geared up for the zombie apocalypse. Cause, well, uh
0: with all those kids, you got one cleaning primers or one cleaning flash holes, you got one loading primers, you got one like i don't I don't reload i wanna start when I get back, yeah, but uh and you got one. Sifting brass. You've got one reloading constantly, right? You don't even need like a Dylan uh, not yet. You, don't, you don't even need a Dillon like three stage press or anything. You just get a regular one. And have all so the five fifty yeah. I don't, at that.
1: It. Yeah. It, you know, there's an idea there. We could have our own ammo company, but uh, <laughs>
0: uh
1: Yeah, they are great kids and that's uh that's what I'm all about right there is uh taking care of my boys and family. But uh, my background, I, you know, I enlisted on my 17th birthday and uh, uh, went infantry. I wanted to go, and this is kind of a funny story, I wanted to go, I wanted to fly the uh, the Cobra gunship. Uh, I read a book called Chicken Hawk when I was a young teenager. And uh, uh, I, I, I enlisted, I took the uh, what's called the Flight Aptitude Skills Test, the test. And before that, I, I had owned an ultralight, and I'd, I'd flown ultralights for a long time and I knew how to fly and so I took the fast test and just free and aced it and uh, I went to the map station in Richmond, Virginia and they're all set it was all good and then they said ah, well let's retest your eyes one more time you know I passed it previously and this time I of course failed it just barely but I, I failed it and I said well you know you got to have your vision a certain level so you're going to have to pick something else and I'm like, you know, scramble, my brain's spinning, oh crap, okay, you know, uh, armor, you know, <laughs> put me in a tank. Ah, uh, well, you know, there's no armor positions open right now. Uh, do you like hiking? Yeah. Do you like camping? Yeah. <laughs> like camping? Yeah. Congratulations, son. your <laughs> infantry. Your bus is leaving right now. Go get on it. So I picked up my <laughs> again, ran for the bus. Next thing you know, I'm at four opening. Uh, and that was, uh, that was a long time ago. almost a whole other life. Uh, but i you know, I, I, was determined in my mind, if I'm going to do something, uh, I'm going to be the best at it. You know, I'm, am going to do everything I can to be good at what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, I stuck with it and, uh, and it was good. It was a good experience. Um, and I recommend that for any young man, you know, uh, you look at an obstacle course. When we first came into Fort Benning, I saw this obstacle course and I was like, there is, No way in hell that I could do that. That's just ridiculous. That's not happening. And, uh, you know, eight weeks later, I was scrambling up that thing like a monkey, and, you know, it it, it was awesome. I was able to overcome what I previously thought was impossible. uh, You know, the key key thing there, I hate to interrupt uh, you,
0: but you just said you previously thought. Because, you know, your mind will set limits for yourself. But your body can go far past what your mind says for you. That's just up to you, you know, to overcome that. And when you mentally decide that you want something, you know, there's there's really no stopping it. You know, and you saw that look pretty complicated, like you no way I'll do this. But then you found out, you know, that your body can do it. It's just up to your mind to allow it. Exactly. That's awesome. It really. Exactly.
1: And and that's something that uh, uh, some people are just not taught today. You know, they don't teach that in schools. They don't teach that in. Uh, even Boy Scouts, they'll do that. My kids are in Scouts, and uh, they took some orienteering. They got the orienteering merit badge, but it's a legacy badge. They only do it every few years now. And I'm thinking, holy crap, man, that was like the that was like a core thing for us. You know, when I was in Scouts, because I started out in the Boy Scouts when I was a young kid, and and there was stuff that I used, you know, Boy Scout skills, you know, in the army. You know that the army even didn't teach me. So yeah, you, you know, I, know, I'm a I,
0: I'm a big fan of scouting. You know, my son's into it a little bit, and uh, unfortunately, he doesn't live with me year round. Uh, he stays with his mom in the winter time, and I love the whole scouting program. You're not allowed to down scouts at all on Gunfighter Cast, um, but yeah, I see what yeah. you're saying, 100. Uh, percent And that's 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 why you know, you as a parent, that's the cool thing about scouts. You can make something happen. You can go. You can go a little bit farther beyond. You can get the other kids involved, other parents involved too. That's a cool thing about it, but I've been around some Eagle Scouts, man. And Eagle Scouts, you know, they know stuff. They there's there's college um, grants for Eagle Scouts out there. There's scholarships for Eagle Scouts out there. There is uh, you get promoted automatically when you come in the Marine Corps if you're an Eagle Scout. It's oh yeah, what, what an awesome organization. And there I am with my tangent thing again. But I just got I got I got a pimp Scouts a little bit, yes. even though it's not perfect. Yeah. And you know the public school yeah. system. Basically, you know, as long as you do what we think is your best, it doesn't matter how stupid you are or how lazy you are. As long as we think you did maybe your best, you know, i got to make sure I still get my paycheck so I'm going to pass you. you know, I, yeah. The whole no child left behind and all that good stuff. It's sad. Yeah, it really is. It's,
1: yeah, it's terrible, and that's one of the biggest problems that we have in the country is uh, uh, it, it, this public education system. That's, it, it's ruining the nation. It already has. But uh, yeah, I'm proud. I've got uh, three of my boys, three of my six are just barely man. there. They're almost there for their Eagle Scout, and I couldn't be I couldn't be prouder than that. Oh man, uh, that's great. And uh, uh, now you mentioned the fact that I'm running for office. Let me give you know listeners a little detail on that.
0: Hey, plug I'm yourself for- and what you're doing. All you want. I'm not allowed to campaign for you or anything according to Marine Corps Order, yeah. but you're exactly. on my show, so you can campaign for yourself as much as you like. Buddy.
1: Right well, I'm, I'm running for the Utah State Legislature. And uh, I was going to go over to the Utah State Senate, but I, I looked at, you know, who my opponent would be. And his dollars was like, I kid you not, like 10000 to $1. So there's like no way I can hit that guy yet. So Utah State Legislature, um, kind of like, uh, you know, just you know, the House and the Senate. This is the half side of it for, for the state. There's a lot of laws in Utah I want to fix, a lot of hunting laws that are stupid, a lot of laws about the education and, and budgetary issues going on in the city of Utah that are just stupid, and people just keep going on with it. Well, oh, yeah, it's kind of a dumb mob, but this is Utah, so we just deal with it. And that attitude has been so pervasive that uh, Utah has been run by just imbeciles with no real, you know, overwatch. So... Uh, I want to get in there and fix some of these stupid laws. I'm tired of complaining about the stupid laws. I want to fix the stupid laws. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. And, uh, the election comes up this November, you know, at the same time as the big general election. And if I win, great. If not, uh, that's fine. I'll, you know, we, we take the punches and we, uh, move on. So it's all good. It, it, it's a, it's amazing, uh, the people who come up kind of just out of the woodwork, unexpected. Uh, I have guys that have come up to me while I'm at work at the gun counter. Well, I'm at the gun counter. I'm not campaigning. I'm, I'm selling guns. I'm talking guns, and I keep that totally separate. But uh, a guy will come up to me and says, Hey, you know, uh, I, I don't live here. I can't vote for you. I'm in a different district, but, you know, here's 20 bucks for your campaign. It's like, Well, I appreciate that, brother. Thank you very much. Uh, because what happens in one district... It affects the other districts when you're, uh, you know, in a state. Because um, you put uh, all those legislature guys together, they can come up with some bad decisions if you don't have the good people in the offices everywhere. So uh, I've been getting support from Salt Lake City, uh, from Ogden, from Logan, from St. George. You know, it's, yeah, it's not a lot, but it all adds up, and uh, I'm able to put up, uh, you know, all the campaign signs I've wanted to put up, and I've got the... Uh, door magnets on the side of my truck, which is, you know, like a rolling billboard. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing.
0: Real quick, where can we go... Where can one of my listeners go to website to support your campaign or uh, monetarily or just talk about it or, you know, join an email list or anything? Where can they go to support your campaign to help you out or learn more about, you know, what you stand for and your views?
1: Well... Uh vote dot org and also vote George Hill on Facebook. So I'm on Facebook and uh my website of course, you know, uh dot uh, com. And mad dot com has been there for You're not know, you
0: allowed to talk about Matt Ogre yet. That's my question later on in the I got a question for you <laughs> later on. When we actually start so doing you the interview. Like,
1: go from there.
0: <laughs> I've got I've got that one. Okay.
1: <laughs> no problem. You can link to, you can link to, uh, Uh, I've got them both. Uh, from com. you can, uh, you know, hit the PayPal thing and donate that way if you want. It's, it's all good. But, uh, the campaign trail is, uh, it, it's interesting. You talk to lots of different people. And Utah politics is very, uh, you know, without getting to religion, uh, there is a religious organization. Uh, in Utah that seems to have kind of controlling hold over a lot of things and uh uh they're very opinionated on what has to be and uh you know I just kind of would like to see the state of Utah kind of come in line with the rest of the states on certain things because uh Utah is transferring a lot of wealth up to Idaho and to Colorado uh based on say just the lottery People going, you know, getting Turner buses, going up to Idaho, buying lottery tickets, and supporting Idaho's education system. That's money that Utah is losing, and Idaho's actually doing really well with their with their education, and Utah is cutting the budget. It's there, uh, it's benign, but it also has other effects, uh, because along the gambling law is uh, a raffle. Uh, I think it was Salt Lake County police department or sheriff's department out there, uh, one of the LEO organizations out in Salt Lake had a, they wanted to do a raffle to support their canine unit and uh, the raffle was doing real well. They were getting a lot of money and then uh, the state came down and said, no, you have to give back every dollar because this is gambling and it's illegal. And uh, man, we're just cutting off our noses to our face because of what is essentially the law. Because well, yeah. just like any other prohibition, it's really not always that good uh, an idea because it's has uh, unintended consequences.
0: Well, you know, completely- for me, you know, it, to me it goes back to freedom. I, I'm a member of the Republican Party only because most of the time they're the closest to my views. I have some strong libertarian values as well. But, uh, you know, freedom, individual freedom is where it's at. You know... The government and nobody else should tell me what I should do with my money. I worked hard for my money. You should not have any bearing whatsoever other than taxes on what I do with my money. You know, this I'm free. I'm a free man. So,
1: And I'm very Republican as well.
0: I'm also running as a libertarian. And I
1: think those taxes on you should be absolutely minimal. And you're a member of the armed forces. Why are you paying um, income tax?
0: Don't get me started. On federal income. I don't mind paying state, even though I haven't lived in my state in 13 and a half years. I don't mind playing, paying state taxes. That Because even my money will still influence my family and roads and everything else. I don't mind paying state taxes, but I work for the federal government. And I've done the math on this. In my entire time that I've been in the Marine Corps, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I've paid my own paycheck at least 100 times. Uh, it's really oh, yeah. ridiculous about how much money I give the federal government and I work for them. Uh, I don't you are
1: taxed. Very heavily taxed. And, uh, uh, and then, uh, once you retire, you're still gonna tax that. And then your health benefits are gonna be, uh, well, thanks to Obamacare, yeah. they're gonna be crap. And, uh, you know, it, it's a tough thing. Being a, a professional, uh, professional warrior, uh, it's not an easy path. So, uh, you know, kudos to you for, uh, you're oh no!
0: But if I would, if I was doing it for money, I'd have been at it a long time ago. You know, because uh, I live payday to payday right now, and that's probably the way it's going to be as long as I'm in. But uh, you know, we don't do it. The Marines out there, the soldiers, the airmen, uh, the Coast Guard, Navy—they don't do it for the money. You know, they—they're they're not. And no, they don't.
1: Uh, they don't. It, it's a higher calling. It really—it really is a higher calling. You know, they—you know—they feel something within them. They're uh, within themselves, they feel the love for their nation, uh, and, uh, and they step up and, uh, you know, uh, we all owe the members of the, our military, you know, just so much and they get so little in return. So, uh, I, I you know, my heart's with, uh, everybody over there, overseas, wherever they're at. Um, you know, my brothers were over there and, uh, You know, luckily they'd both come back, but one of my brothers, they're still in it, and, uh, you know, he's still, he's still uh, uh, being the best soldier he can be,
0: so. I wouldn't change a second of it. Absolutely no regrets whatsoever. And there's always little times that just really, really make it worthwhile, and... And I'm going to give you an example of this. Not because I told uh, the guy, I would I would tell him. I would talk about it on the next show. And I know we still haven't even got to my second question in this interview, and i got about ten more questions. <laughs> but it might be a long show, but I hope you don't have anything to do, uh, George.
1: No, I'm fine. i got a day off. <laughs> i got <laughs> a five-week.
0: And... Recently, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but the Vibram Five Finger shoes, have you seen those? Like the toe shoes are basically gloves for your feet? Yeah, yeah, I've seen those. All right, well, i got a pair. and I, They're awesome. I love them. And I haven't ran in them yet. I had a three-mile run yesterday morning, but I didn't have the balls to go out and get them and run because I didn't want to fall out of a huge regimental run in front of everybody in the whole regiment uh, because I wasn't used to these shoes. And everybody I know that has them tells me, run like a mile. That's it. And take your time getting used to them because you you, you stay completely on your toes. And they're great for running, but it takes a little bit to get used to. So I was scared to wear them. But uh, I almost wore them yesterday. I would, uh, I, mean, I would wear these things everywhere, and it feels like I'm barefoot, and I love them. They fit so perfect, and they're so comfortable. Um, I was looking for a pair. I've, I've been wanting some for a long time, but I haven't had the money in the budget to spend 100 bucks on the pair I wanted. The pair People, I want costs about $125. I put on Facebook, hey, does anybody know where I can find a pair of these shoes? Because I can't. They're online, they're back backordered. Uh, on REI.com, they're back ordered. On every other website, they're all back ordered. Nobody has them. I was like, does anybody have them anywhere, place near them? Because I'll give you the money if you buy them. You can send them to me. Something like that. Mm. Dwayne Daker, who, uh, is, uh, an editor for Concealed Carry Magazine. Uh, and he yeah, also, moder- yeah. yeah, and he also moderates the, uh, roll bar forums. Am I saying that right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I talked to him for a while, and he's like, yeah, they got some right near me. And I've never met this guy before in my life. He's just, a GunfighterCast listener and a fellow gun guy, just, just met him through Facebook. We started talking in emails about these shoes, and he has a pair, and he loves them and stuff, and, he was going to take my money. I was going to send him through PayPal and he was going to buy them and send them to me. But then he posted on his forums, Hey, let's help out a Marine. He wants to PT in these shoes and help him, you know, exercise and stay in shape and all that stuff. He wants a pair of these. And he said an hour later, and I went to the forum thread an hour later, he had the money in his PayPal account because all the members had sent him money to get these shoes for me. And he sent him priority mail less than a week later, after I actually posted on my Facebook ad that I wanted a pair of these, who has them? I'll give you the money. Less than a week later, they were in my mailbox here on base nice. because him and his people nice. at the forums uh, hooked it up. You know, and it, that's awesome. And it is. If I talk about this before, yeah, I, look- I might get a little teary-eyed. You might hear it in my voice a little bit because I mean it really. Because <laughs> the way they talked about it was it was like it wasn't a big deal at all. And he said something on the forums about how you know. I was acting like they were doing me a favor while I've deployed to Iraq a few times. And I'm out here training people to go to Afghanistan uh, to deploy. And, you know, I may be able to go myself if I ever get the opportunity. It seems like I'm destined to not go to Afghanistan for some reason. But, uh, you know, he, he said something to the effect of, you know, and he actually, like we're doing him a favor with what he's doing. And I was like, wow, you know, it's, it blew my mind that they did that that fast yeah. and everything. And it, it, was, I, I, it turns out I had to fly my son. Because I get my son in the summertime, and I had to fly him out here and then fly him back, and it cost a lot of money. My wife ended up having to uh, leave her three-month-old baby, and mine, of course, to fly my son back to the States to get him back before school started. And it cost us a lot of money, so I was going to email him and tell him, you know, I couldn't afford these shoes. And to him, it was probably not a big deal at all. But to me, it was huge, man. It really was. It was huge. Like, they went out of their way and gave money to help somebody out they didn't even know from anywhere. You know, he's listening to Gunfighter Cast, that's about it. And, uh, you know, that's just yeah. awesome. People just throw yellow ribbons on the back of their cars with magnets and say that, you know, they support the troops. But that is supporting a troop. And I hate for Marines being called troops because we don't like that. But uh, it works regardless of that. You know, it's uh, that was just amazing to me. And I, I just can't put into words how much I appreciate it. You know, I mean, I actually had tears in my eyes when I was reading a simple post on the forum thread. And... Uh, it, it it really means a lot. It really, really does.
1: And you know, the only thing that he was probably thinking is that he wishes you know he could do that for you know every Marine, every soldier out there. Yeah, Dwayne's a good guy. I, I I don't know Dwayne very well, and uh, uh, I've only met him in person once uh, at Shot Show 2010 down in Las Vegas. We went around the Shot Show a couple couple booths together, and you know talked about some things. Uh, I had dinner with them, uh, with the whole crew there of uh, that that's involved with Concealed Carry Magazine, Delta Communications, and Armed American Radio, and so we had Dwayne, uh, Mark Walters was there, uh, you know, Tim Schmidt, the uh, founder of USCA. USCCA, and, uh, you know, Oleg Volk was there, I don't know if you've had a chance to interview Oleg Volk yet, he's a great guy. You know, it, we just had some fun, but fun. and you can't forget Dr. Bruce Imer, you know, he's, a, he's awesome too. But having this dinner with these guys, even though we had never really met before in person, it's like you're sitting down with old friends, and it was just like, you know, family dinner at you know, you know, some Sunday family dinner get together. It was, it was awesome. He is such a, a genuine good guy, and being able to associate with guys like Dwayne uh, is is just fantastic, and. You know, you know, having wait do something like this is not surprising.
0: You know, I can definitely relate. You know, I never talked to you before. I've talked to your partner in crime, Joseph Chetwood. And, uh, you know, we've kind of posted the same things on Facebook and kind of been involved in the same thing. But like we said, our, our paths have never really crossed, you know, immediately uh, to, to actually converse with each other. But as soon as we started talking, you know, I was like, hey, you know, it's great to meet you finally and talk to you. And we started talking about something stupid like zombies and video games. And, you know, it's... It, I think it's whenever you get to a certain level and you have a similar mindset because it takes a similar mindset to, to, know, to want to learn what you know and mm-hmm. want to learn you know what I know. And whenever you put those things together with those groups that you ran into at SHOT Show and with me and you talking, it's, uh, it's, it's really easy to get along. You know, it's like you're already friends. You just haven't really established it yet. You know, it's Look,
1: kind of there's a lot of common ground, a lot of common ground, a lot of common knowledge. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's important that uh, the gun community stick together. Um, you get on some of these forums, and they, they can be so, you know, uh, so negative to one aspect of the gun culture, uh, probably against another as- aspect of the gun culture, and uh, really the community's got to hold together. Because uh, uh, being divisive, being antagonistic... And and I'll admit it, uh, you know, I've participated in that, you know, some of that that stuff as well. Uh it's it's easy to get wrapped up into, but uh you know, it comes down to it, we are on the same team still. We have the same values, the same common values, we have the same basic ideology, uh we just got differences of opinions on on different things and that's what makes uh, the gun community great, but we gotta stick together. You know, that's just my thought on that subject.
0: Oh, I totally agree. And I've talked about it earlier in earlier Gunfighter Cast episodes, where you know there's there's a certain macho mentality uh, in gun stores and uh, at the range that I really hate. I, I don't like it at all. The the I know more than you, and you don't know anything. I don't want to teach you anything. I don't want to talk to you, or you don't look like the kind of person that really needs. to. You're in here with two three hundred bucks, and you're looking at a high point. So I don't want to talk to you about anything. You know, and I, I totally disagree with that attitude. Um, you know, those people who are in there with three hundred bucks and they're looking at a high point, those are the people that we should go to. You know, hey man, what are you looking for? You want a, high, you want a gun, and you got three hundred bucks. Look, you know, find out a way, find a way to get a hundred more bucks. And I've got this used Glock. You know, I've got this used this. I've got this. It's going to be so much better gun for you. And here's why. And if you don't want it, if you don't know, I could rent this gun out to you, and we'll go to the range over here in a few minutes, and I'll shoot. We'll shoot a little bit. And well, I'll show you why it's so much better, you know. And it's a that's what I would like to see more of. I hate the macho attitude, um, and I, I just I want us to accept everybody because there's you know the Second Amendment applies to everybody, even people that doesn't wear you know five eleven khakis, you know. And I, we need to bring them people in and accept them, and bring them up and teach them. And that's what we're talking about right here because there's people listening to this show who don't know anything. There's people listening to this show who who don't even have guns yet, who are thinking about buying firearms. I get emails from people pretty often. I recently got one from somebody saying, hey, I'm trying to convince my wife to get a gun. I think I should get one. Uh, and I wasn't really sure. And we were worried about our kids. But she talked about kids with guns. And it really helped me out a lot. Uh, and, and I went and talked to her about it. And then we both listened to the show again together. And so she, got, she understood your thought process on having kids with guns at the same time. And I, it made a lot of sense to her. So now we're going to go look at guns next weekend. He hasn't emailed me back. So I don't know if they ended up getting one. But, you know, that alone was worth everything because you know that that was that was awesome, and uh, I, would, I would love yep. to see so much more of that. We got to accept these people; It doesn't matter. We got to, and trainers and instructors got to drop that macho mentality. If you bring the macho attitude in, like I know everything, then you stop learning because the firearms industry, guns alone that are being manufactured, and tactics are totally dynamic. It's constantly changing. If you don't stay up on it, you're going to fall behind. And if you have the attitude that you know everything, then you don't know everything.
1: That's true. And uh, you know the best instructors that I know—they uh, are actually students, ninety-nine percent of the time. You know, they're looking at what other instructors are doing. They're looking at—they're even looking at—you know—they're taking their own class as they're giving it, and uh, they're trying to, uh, to trying to improve because that's. Uh, that's that's fighting the biggest killer that we have as, as instructors and as students is complacency. Uh, when we become comfortable with what we're doing, we're not doing enough, if you get my drift. You know, we've got to constantly strive to make ourselves better, uh, you know, at reloading, at malfunction drills, at, you know, trigger manipulation, all the basic fundamentals. Because when it comes down to shooting, uh, there's, there's no magic tricks. There's just little things that you can do to improve efficiency. And, you know, I come also from a racing background. Now when you, when you're a race car driver, you're constantly looking for little subtle, and they're not big changes, they're just very subtle changes to improve the way they drive or to improve the car or, or or what have you to get those little you know, tenths of a second improvement because those build up over time. And uh, you know, when it comes to shooting, when you get complacent, you stop looking for those improvements. Uh, you're actually sliding backwards. If you catch my drift. Oh,
0: absolutely. So that's, that's the- yeah, I've said before that. Uh, you know, I- I'll ask somebody if I have a student who doesn't really care. And I paint it, they're not paying attention. Like, yeah, I know all that. I've done it before. I know it. I'm good. Like, so and I ask, you know, when's the last time you got bit by? A sand flea or a mosquito. I'm like, oh, a couple hours ago. Said, When's the last time you got bit by an elephant? You know, well, I've never been bit by an elephant. You know, and it's 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 kind of silly, but it has a lot of meaning. You know, it's the small things that get you. The big things aren't gonna be what gets you. Once you understand this side alignment is the equal amount of space on both sides, flush across the top with that front sight in the rear sight, you know, you've got side alignment down. You just need to see that every shot. Uh, that trigger pull, once you can, you know, apply that trigger pressure properly and not disturb that side alignment or that side picture, you know, you're going to hit accurately. But then you've got to work on speed. you got to put all those things together. And then there's little things that you can do. Uh, there's little things with, you know, an AR-15 presentation. You know, are you holding your rifle at the alert or the low ready with your thumb around the pistol grip? Or do you have your thumb sitting on top of the selector lever? It's the small little things that are going to save your life one day or they're going to get you killed. The small things are what count, you know, and they add up to be big things.
1: Yep, yeah, exactly. Those those little efficiencies. Like, uh, I remember, uh, it just made sense to me. I, I always kept my thumb right there on the safety switch, ready to flick it to fire, and uh, doing, uh, you, know, you know, patrols through the woods at, uh, uh would, you know, Fort Benning, Fort Bragg, uh, Camp. Uh, A.P. Hill, when that was still owned by the military, now yeah, it's owned by the Boy Scouts by the way. But, Really? Uh,
0: Did you ever go there in January? Oh, yeah. Because every time I go to A.P. Hill, it's in January, and it <laughs> rains all day long, and then at nighttime, oh, it turns man. into freezing rain, and everything freezing, and it's just incredibly cold. <laughs> you know, I get cringes what? up my spine whenever I hear Fort A.P. Hill, Virginia. Oh, <laughs> so, let me tell so you. So miserable. up again. Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely miserable. It's one of the most miserable places on earth. Even though it is, at times, the most beautiful places. But uh, sitting there, I'm, I'm waiting for the 82nd Airborne. Elements of the 82nd Airborne are supposed to be coming in into our area. And I'm on an LPOP. And it is so cold, it is drizzled constantly. And I am literally soaked to my bone, even though I'm wearing rain gear. It's, I'm just soaked. And then it got cold, and I've got literal icicles hanging off the brim of my boonie cap. And I'm sitting here with my weapon, and I've got like this, this shiver going on through me, and just absolutely miserable. And, uh, uh, I'm finally thinking, you know, wait a second guys, they're not gonna, they're not gonna come up. And I'm on this like little ridge, and there's a field down below this ridge full of grass, and I'm thinking, there's nobody down here. And as soon as I thought, there's nobody down here, there's nobody coming in this direction at all, Starclust Flare popped off. Like ten feet in front of me from down below, and they were right there. I'm sitting here shivering my butt off, just totally unaware that they had got that close, and they didn't know I was there. Thank goodness.
0: That's because so you were man, in survival just, mode. You weren't in that, training mode. You were in just survival mode. Just
1: exactly. I'm I'm sitting here worried about my core temperature and and uh, just a miserable freaking night. But. Uh, you know, we came out of that and that training engagement just fine, so it was all good. But, man, that was one of my number one most miserable experiences with that
0: Ford APL. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you know, I'm going to move on to our second question. <laughs> I don't know how long we've been going right now, but I think it's quite a while. I've got an email not too long ago, somebody or uh, iTunes review saying that one of my shows was too long, and it really annoyed them that it was so long. And I guess they don't realize they can pause it or something. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell the listeners that this one's going to be long. I can already tell. Um, I'm enjoying it, and uh, I hope you are too. But uh, and I'm sure listeners will too. But you know, it's a cool thing about a podcast. You know, you listen to it a little bit, you pause it, you go do your thing, you come back to the car wherever you listen to the podcast at, and you press play again. And uh, you know, I I think it's great. Let me ask you a second question. Oh, yeah. So, from reading Matt Ogre, from reading the Crusader blog and other things on our Crusader website and talking to you, you know, it's obvious that you know a mm-hmm. lot. Um, where did you learn what you teach? You know, for your curriculum in uh, whenever you're teaching your classes, where is it coming from? Where did you get it?
1: Where did I get it? Well, you know, I've... from From elements of the U.S. Army from elements of the U.S. Marine Corps. Now, I did train with a bunch of Marines, uh, is one of the things that I did, you know, in, in, in another life. Um, we had some British Royal Marines came in and, and we worked with them. And that was actually, uh, just before I got out at, uh, here at, uh, Camp Williams, British Royal Marines came in and we worked with those guys. and they're, they're very good. Um, when I was younger, I, I was able to go to, uh, uh, Blackwater, um, training school. And, uh, that was, that was an experience and then just just learning from different instructors going to classes when I can but just taking everything that I've learned and uh filtering out what was less efficient using what was more efficient and just kind of evolving that is is pretty much what I've uh you know what I've put together for our training program with uh, for Crusader also all that stuff from law enforcement uh uh, I'm living within uh, a hop, skip, and a jump from where I went through uh, my police academy and stuff I learned from there. And, uh, uh it's just a good experience. And we've got a lot of very good people that live around here uh, in my neck of the woods. And, uh, uh, we'll train together and, uh, we'll shoot together and, you know, we have a good time. And, uh, what we learn, you know, we, sometimes we learn stuff just by accident. Well, hey, you know, if we move our sling attachment point, you know, forward is a little bit, you know, we can, you know, we can do this, or we can, you know, set our stock this way. It's, it, it's a little bit better for when we get into this position, and uh, it's just a constant learning process. And uh, uh, you know, having a good cadre of friends around you, knowing uh, other instructors, and being able to uh, uh, just talk the nitty and gritty of shooting. You know, shooting shooting sports is uh, I guess you can call it an extreme sport because not very many people are doing it, you know, compared to other sports. But uh, the community's there, and there's uh, really good people that are, you know, willing to share information if you're willing to just open up your ears and listen. Uh, yeah, you, it's, you, it's just that evolutionary process.
0: You, you mentioned about you know having a cadre that you train with and friends that you train with and stuff, and you know I think that's important for an individual as well as a trainer, just a person that wants to learn, it's good for him to go out and hang on people who have been doing it a little bit longer or been doing it as much because he's going to learn different ways to do it because they may do things quite a bit different. The way they change magazines may be the way differently than the way that you change magazines. Now, the way you change magazines may be more efficient for you, but it may not work for them. But what that does is whenever you step over into the trainer realm and you start teaching people, now you know the way that you change magazines and it works perfect for you but, you know, the way I skin a cat may not work the way you skin a cat. So exactly. now you know exactly. ten, 10 new ways to do this that works for them because they have small hands and this other person has really big mm-hmm. hands. And now you've got all these other tools in your toolbox of, you know, if this doesn't work for you, you can try this. And then if this doesn't work, we'll try this. And if this doesn't work, we'll try this and so on. And that just gives you a lot more tools to help teach somebody so they can get grasp those, those concepts a lot better and uh, they can become efficient themselves. I think that's a good exactly. thing.
1: Exactly. And in, in what you said about having the tools in your toolboxes. Because some trainers will advocate one method that's completely different from another. For example, there's one big trainer that does not advocate uh, the tactical reload. He doesn't like teaching it. He'll show it to you begrudgingly, but then totally d- dis on it and dismiss it and basically say, don't ever do that. And, uh, you know, he's a big-name trainer. He's got people that spend thousands of dollars to go to his classes. And, uh, you know, he's got that absolute following However, you know, I disagree. I respectfully disagree, and I think there's a time and a place for those different tools. And a good, you know, a good gunfighter, uh, a good gunslinger guy, he's going to be able to look at the situation and decide on the fly what he needs to do, and he'll be able to select the right tool, the right method of, mani- of weapon manip- manipulation for that situation. You know, he could be... You know, if you got the guys like the Magpill guys, you see Christopher Costa, I mean, and he's a great guy, he's got a lot of knowledge, but you've, everybody's seen the way he, you know, he flips the gun and the magazine goes flying, and then he, you know, he throws in another mag real fast. Well, having that neat little flip, is, I mean, that's cool, but that flip doesn't work on all guns, because sometimes the magazine's a little bit more stuck than others, or sometimes you're in a situation where you don't want to flip that magazine. For example, if you're, you know, in a helicopter, you flick a mag out while you're flying in a helicopter, uh, that magazine can fly out and it can, uh, you know, it can cause some damage to the, uh, uh, to the aircraft and, you know, just totally the wrong thing to do. you got to retain that magazine. And how you retain that magazine, different instructors will teach different things and you just got to use what all the instructors are, are giving you, you know. So take classes from as many different people as you can You know, and you know, I believe the goal should be a a, a true warrior, a true gunslinger. He's going to try and strive.
0: (laughs) You know, that's something I've been hearing. I've been hearing this so much lately. It's like in every podcast I listen to. It's in emails that I get. You know, what do I think about grip angle? You know, and I think this whole Glock grip angle, nineteen eleven grip angle, everything. Personally, you know, for the record, if anybody's wondering what Daniel Shaw thinks about that. I think it's ridiculous. I think sight alignment is sight alignment is sight alignment. I think when it comes to point shooting, and you got to think about point shooting as something that's very rarely used. It's a great skill to have. But when you're talking about, when you're using point shooting, you're very, very close to your bad guy that's in front of you if you're using that point shooting. And if you're using that point mm-hmm. shooting, even the, that little small amount of, of, of fractions of inches of difference in that, that grip angle is going to equal fractions of inches on your target. I think it's a completely ridiculous excuse for not being able to shoot with a weapon. It's just insane. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Because, you know, you've got uh, your foundation foundation skills. It doesn't matter what weapon platform you're using. Those skill sets are all the same. So, you know, the good, well-rounded shooter, you should be able to give him any weapon, and he should be able to pick up that weapon and be proficient with it. Uh, Again, that's just my opinion, and, you know, that's what... uh, uh, that's what I train when, when we're doing, uh, Crusader training. Uh, we do lots of, lots of offhand shooting. We, we shoot left handed, we shoot right handed, and, uh, we shoot from uncomfortable positions, and, uh, out here in the, you know, I, I live basically in the desert, you know, so we've got, uh, sand, we've got grit, we've got wind conditions, and it all makes to be a rather unpleasant shooting experience when you're down on the ground, your muzzle's an inch off the ground, you're blasting rounds downrange and you've got this dust kicking up.
0: The wind's blowing left-handed. in your face, and it's even worse in when it's wind blowing in your
1: face. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? You, you come out of that, uh, uh, just so much better. Because, uh, you know, next time you're shooting, you're going to be, you know, for most people, they'll be standing up, uh, uh, maybe an indoor range climate control. It's, you know, they get the lights set, they've got their earmuffs on, and, you know, everything is just a, a nice experience. But being able to shoot from your worst, from the worst-case worst scenario, you know, it's something you got to train with. But, uh, you know, a good gunslinger is going to be able to, to shoot from those awkward positions. They're going to be able to shoot with different weapons. And, uh, you know, they've got to become proficient with, with everything. And that comes from focusing on your basic foundation skills, side alignment, side trigger, trigger press. Uh, if you're shooting rifle at, you know, distances beyond 100 yards, you know, start, start worrying about your breath control and, uh, things like that. It all comes in, it all comes in together. You can't just, you know, avoid one aspect of shooting to concentrate on another. Uh, it's gonna make you lopsided. It's just, uh, it's not the best way of doing it.
0: All right, that's what we'll call our intro to George Hill from Crusader Weaponry. I hope you got something out of that. You enjoyed the conversation, our little banner back and forth. Uh, maybe at least, got, at least, at the very least, got to know George a little bit and his thought process. Uh, I think it's easy to see that you know he'd be a good guy to hang out with, shoot guns with, and train around. In the next episode, look forward to the next couple of days. If this has been it up for a while and you're just now downloading, that episode's probably already up. The way you subscribe to iTunes and all that good stuff. Uh, you may have missed this show, or you may have missed the next show, so I want you to make sure you go back there and you download it and check it out, and uh, you don't miss anything uh, unless you really want to miss something. In that case, it's all good. Uh, but anyway, thanks for listening, and until next time, far Cast.